We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Brian. Let's let's do a little mailbag. Yeah, I, w- I want to start off. It's it's not necessarily a um uh, a question, but there was a discussion going on in the in the chat that I wanted to oh. address and give my opinion. It's just easier for me to do it instead of text it. I got. But you. there's conversations about like NCA penalties and and oh. Tennessee was recently hit with an eight million dollar fine oh. and uh, loss of scholarships and some other things. But a lot of people view it as a slap on the wrist, and to a degree it was, and people are arguing that they should have been banned from the postseason. And then there was this thing about a state senator from Tennessee was going to sue on behalf of players if they got a bull ban. I have a couple thoughts. Number one is these state legislators are spending way too much freaking time worrying about college athletics than they are like all the other crap going on in our states. Like if you think about all the things that we're being overwhelmed with right now of all the insanity that's going on in our country, economically, socially, culturally, all these other things, and you guys are going to sue on behalf of players who can't play in the effing bowl game. (laughs) First of all, you suck. You need to get voted out of Congress or not be an attorney general or whatever that guy would need because your priorities are effed up. If you're a state legislature worried about NIL laws, you're an idiot. You need to go. You need more serious people in these state legislators, number one. Number two, he was right in what he was going to argue for. They shouldn't. I hate bull bans, in my opinion. I hate bull bans unless the majority of the people responsible are still there. If it's the same coach, the same assistants, the same players, the players who cheated, all this other kind of stuff, then sure, let's go for it. Right. I hate bowl bans, especially when it's a situation where the people getting punished are not the people that were responsible for the violations that you're being penalized for. Sure. Right. Number one. Number two is so if you were to say they can't play in a bowl game, so you're punishing Josh Heupel and his team for sins of the Jeremy Pruitt era. That makes no sense to me. Right. Fire anyone still at the school that was part of that. You're done. Right. You 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 had flagrant violations. And then suspend anyone from the bowl game who was a player that took that money if you want to do that or suspend them for three games or the case may be. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. However, when you look at a situation like this, finding them is the way to go. The $8 million fine was the slap. It was the amount that I had a problem with, right? I really have no problem with the way that they went about. This is the punishment we're going to hand out. It's going to be a financial punishment, not a bowl ban. So here's how it would work for me. We're going to let you play in a bowl game. The only money you can get for the bowl game is money that it costs to cover your expenses. That's it. Players can get whatever things they get from the bowls. You know, they hand out cool stuff and they can mm-hmm. get all the swag and all that. Totally fine. The only money you get from the bowl game is the stuff that's going to cover your expenses for going to the game. Every other penny that you get is going to be redistributed to the rest of your league. Right? So if you're getting $8 million for a bowl game, you take out whatever it was for expenses and the rest of that money gets distributed to the league. And then the actual fine should have been way more than $8 million. So I'm going to put you on a three-year bowl ban. And a bowl ban doesn't mean you can't participate in a bowl game. It means you can't profit from a bowl game. So I'm not going to punish the players. I'm not going to punish the current coaches. You can still go to the college football playoff. You can still go to the Sugar Bowl. You can still play in the Orange Bowl, whatever the case may be. But your institution is not going to financially benefit from it. You're not going to financially benefit from the cheating and especially if like the AD is still there, if the school president is still there, if you want to not get hit with the big financial uh, sting, like of 20 plus million dollars or $30 million, or, you know, you can't make money off and you can't make any money off of your conferences bowl money. Cause you know, how the conferences allocate yep, bowl money. Split it around. That either. Right. You make zero money off the postseason. Yep. Yep. Okay. And if you don't want to have that punishment, then whoever was in a position of leadership where there was answers to this, so the head football coach, the athletic director, and the president. If you don't want to get hammered with this, then all those people in that chain need to go if they're that serious of the violations. But we're not going to do is I'm not going to punish Joe Milton and his teammates who had nothing to do with this whole thing. I'm not punishing Josh Heupel, who was at Central Florida when all this Mm -hmm. stuff happened. Now, if I have things that I found out that the current coaching staff was part of this, like, and they were a That's major different. problem, this, then fine. You either fire your coach or we're going to do this. Or you don't let the coach coach in the bowl game. He can't be in the practices or in the game. Either one. I mean, those things you're going to do, but I'm not punishing. I'm so sick of these penalties that punish student athletes. The whole, we're going to, you know, we're going to take wins away from their name. We're going to take Reggie Bush's Heisman Trophy away. That's fine because he was the one that broke the rules, 
right? I know people give Reggie his trophy back, whatever. Like, seriously, we don't have more important things to worry about than whether or not Reggie. We all know Reggie was a monster that year. We all have yeah. a picture of Reggie <laughs> holding the trophy up, whatever. I don't care, right? right? We all know that Reggie Bush was the Heisman Trophy winner that year. So, whatever, move on, find something more important to talk about. But if it's an individual player that did something, then he should have suffered suffer the consequences, right? right? But I'm not going to punish all the other players that had nothing to do with it. Four guys at Notre Dame cheated in that academic situation in 2013. Four. But every kid on that team and all the coaches got punished for it. Even though when the coaches found out about it, they did exactly what you're supposed to do, right? They self-reported the whole thing. Kids did something dumb. We found out about it. We put a stop to it. We reported it. We did the right thing. And the NCAA said, why do you guys keep reporting yourselves? You guys know we won't do anything if you just shut up and you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. it's got to be so egregious. And what Tennessee take care of it in house. So egregious that they had no choice but to go after them, right? Because they were just dumb, handing out money in McDonald's bags. Like you're an idiot, right? You know what I mean? Because you know what's going to happen. These kids are going to go to another school, and then that school is going to report you, right? Even though they did the same thing to that kid, right? They just weren't dumb enough to do it the way that you did it. So that's that's my big thing is there need to be major firings for people that were involved or or, or are responsible for, right? Uh, uh, huge financial punishments, and I'm talking seven figures because that's nothing. I'm talking eight-figure punishments, like $20, $30 million punishments, and then remove the ability for those teams to benefit off bowl games for a period of time. Whatever your bowl ban would be during that bowl ban – it just the ban is you can't receive financial, you can't financially benefit from the bowl game. That's what it comes down to. Those are the things that I think if they would do that, you'd start getting a lot more regulation. If a school president knows if we get respond, if if we get hit with this type of violation under my watch, it's either we get an, a $30 million fine or I'm fired. If the AD knows that to be true, well, hey, I wasn't involved in it, but you're the boss. Right. You're supposed to be in charge of these things. This guy answers to you. He doesn't answer to only God. He answers to you. And you did nothing. And if you didn't know that this was going on, then you're not doing your job. Right? And if those guys know that, dude, we're going to get a, a big eight-digit, eight, eight-figure eight fine, we can't benefit off bowl games for X amount of years, and, or, or, or we get fired, the school has to sacrifice us, then you know what starts to happen? It's this word, Vince that I'm not sure if people in college athletics understand what this word is and what it means. It's uh, it's called accountability. It's this really cool word that coaches use when it comes to the teenagers, but they don't use it for themselves. They're right. not accountable for things. It's only the, only the young people that, that are going to school for free, right. That don't get salaries. They don't get seven and eight figures salary salaries. It's there. They got to be accountable, but we don't. Mm-hmm. We don't got to be accountable. Boosters don't got to be accountable. The AD doesn't be accountable. Don't just get a little slap on the wrist of a, you know, you're 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 put on probation. What does that mean? Like <laughs> LSU got put on probation. What does that mean? Can they still play in the postseason? Yeah. Are they find very much money? No, not really. So we we sacrifice X number of official. Well, that just means like the forty kids they bring on campus who they're not going to take anyway. They're just not going to bring on to campus anymore. It, it, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Right. So, so there's no accountability. The NCAA has created a system of no accountability, right? And so you yep. want to stop this stuff, start making the punishments a lot harsher. Don't give me some $8 million fine. Give me a $24 million fine. Triple it. Don't let them benefit. We're not going to punish the kids. not going to do a bowl ban, but you can't make any money off bowl games. That's how this stuff changes. But nobody has an interest in that, actually. Nobody actually cares about this. 
Right. Right. I mean, eight million dollars. The, dude, they'll get their the the boosters that were giving them the money to pay players are going to give them that eight million dollars like that. That's fine. Here, here, here you go. No big deal. They're going to make thirty million dollars. It's a little bit different animal. You know what I mean? And that's the stuff that they need to do. It, it's it's an absolute joke. And um, but that, but that, that's why I'm against bull bands because bull bands punish sure. the kid the people who weren't actually primarily responsible for whatever they're getting in trouble for. And that's that's what I that's what I get tired of. So that's kind of my my pre my mailbag intro rant that was being discussed in the in the chat. That's that's why I'm very very much against bull bands. Very much against bull bands, unless again the culprits are that team. Sure. So let's just say hypothetically that that um, this take this Northwestern situation, and let's say they find out that this 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 really bad hazing stuff, and they find all these things, and it's like half the team. You have a choice: either you know take a ban, or you know kick those kids off the. You know, then it's like okay, but it's the people there that are there now are the ones responsible for it. So then I'm more sympathetic to some sort sure. of punishment to the current team because it's right. You know, and it's like, still well, there. I, I didn't do it, but you knew about it and you didn't do anything about it. Right. right? It's kind of like if, if you see, if you're at a party and you see some dude doing something to a female and you say, well, I saw it happen, but I, I didn't do it. You didn't do anything to stop it. So you're not a man. And you know, you let it happen. You're, yeah, you're not you're, as responsible, but you're still responsible. Just as right? guilty. Sorry. Because you're not a man. You didn't right. step up and say, hey, bro, that ain't okay. Right. Right. So to me, that's kind of how I look at these type of things, Vince, is unless it's that current group of people, bull bands to me are, are just punishing the wrong people for it. And and so I would have been okay if, if somebody would have said, hey, we're going to fight this. I just feel like, you know, uh, all the stuff going, I mean, going, going on in our country and, and these legislators are worried about bull bands and NIL and all this other kind of crap. And it's just like, this is why nobody trusts you all. It's why, it's why people hate politics because it's crap like this. You can get a bill passed on NIL, but we can't get a bill passed on all these other things that are facing our country. Give me a break. Give me an absolute break. I, I've so, always, uh, I've always believed that coaches who get involved in this kind of stuff like the punishment should follow them wherever they end right. up going. Right. And, and it can expire. Well, and that after, actually happens a decent amount. Like okay. it, and it can expire yeah. after X amount of years. Right. Yeah. I mean, however long it is, but you're probably not going to get hired in that amount of time either. You know what right. I mean? And so, yeah, like, I, I think like Chip Kelly might've had something like that when he went to UCLA, there's been some, uh, there's been some things like that, but yes. Yeah. That, 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 yeah. If, you, if you're a college, and you want to hire Jeremy Pruitt as your head coach. That's cool. But your, the, the punishments comes with given Tennessee are yeah. come with them. You're hiring right. this baggage too. Yeah. Right. 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 So yeah, I, I'm with that. I'm with that. All right. Now let's get to some more questions, Vince. Okay. Actually, do have some questions now. We got a super chat from Raymond. Thanks, Raymond. Great solo show yesterday, Brian. And the intel was awesome. Thank you. And keep up the great work. Go. Thank you Irish. very much, Raymond. Dude, my voice was shot by the end of that show yesterday. <laughs> was it really? Completely shot. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I did drink a lot of today tea afterwards. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being here with me today, Vince. <laughs> Appreciate you. From Paulie B27, if we fail to land KVA, do we still have a shot to land Shaw? If not, what changes do you think need to be made to the defensive staff? Well, I just I just think that they need to do a better job. I don't get into the whole changing the staff. I think there needs to be a change in accountability. Again, we talk about this, right? Like, hey, look, I well, you know, I, I did this, I did that, I did this other thing, and it's just like, um, well, 
the reality is though, is you didn't get the job done. So either right. you need to do a better job, or if you're telling me that you did the best you can, and this is your results, then I need to find something to do a better job. Right. Uh, but uh, to me, I, 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 again, I'm just someone who doesn't believe that firing is always the, the right answer, especially if the defense is as good. I'll say this again. If the Notre Dame defense goes out there and is as good as I think it's going to be this year, you're going to tell me you're going to fire three of your assistant coaches from that right. defense because you don't think they recruited well enough. No, there needs to be a level of accountability to that. But that accountability can also come down and sit there and say, hey, because of this, a great job coaching, but you know, you and I are going to be having weekly meetings about this thing and that thing. And, and we're going to get into some, some aspects of this, that, that we need to make sure that you're getting this job done. If you need more help with something, then, 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 you know, there needs to be communication, uh, you know, with other coaches, it's like, like, like without Washington, it's like, look, we need to figure out how we don't miss on Justin Scott, but Hey, keep doing what you're doing at defensive end. Right. right. Cause you give me Cole Mullins, Logan Thomas and Bryce David, Bryce young every year. Uh, we can roll like that. Right. And then if you coach better, then we're going to have a chance to close on some of these guys down the road. Without Golden, it's more of a, dude, why are you involved with some kids and not others? Like, you're paid to do this job. So this has got to be more a part of what you're trying to do. And if you don't want to recruit, then that's cool. Go to the NFL. But, like, you're sure. here, and I need you to take this more seriously. If if you feel that's a problem. Just giving an example if you feel that's a problem, right? But it's not always just about, oh, fire a guy, you know? And so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But right now, all I care about, with the defensive staff is put a top 10 defense on the field. Okay. Don't care about anything else. I mean, honestly, recruiting, you do that and recruiting to a degree takes care of itself. Yep. Honestly. I could not disagree. I mean, could not agree with you more. I mean, that's, and we've always talked about it, right? When we, when we have these recruiting shows and we talk about this, that, and the other, and it's, to me, it always comes down to, if they have a big year in 23, a lot of this is going to take care of itself. A lot of it is, you know, and I'm not saying that, Coaches don't need to work harder and, you know, all of that. Yes, that is all true. There's no doubt about that. But you're telling me that if you arm these coaches with a 10-2, and 11-1, whatever season. Especially if it's like a playoff college season. College playoff yeah. season, like that kind of a thing. And then you add that to their arsenal of recruiting, that they're not going to be able to land some big fish. Come on. Like, absolutely yeah. they are. So, yes, this season is huge. It's absolutely huge right. recruiting. Rob Osgood, safety recruiting has been a topic of discussion. What do you need to see on the recruiting side this next cycle to relieve doubt? I'm not asking for three top 50 guys, but realistic expectations. I mean, to me, it's two thirds of what you got this year. I mean, if you give me a safety class next year that has a guy on the same level as Bronte Johnson and a guy on the same level as Kennedy Erlacher, but your third guy is a top 100 guy, then you're there. And you're, you're there. Chris O'Leary is not as far off as we want him to be, sure. especially with the Bronte Johnson thing. However, I still say, I think Bronte coming into Notre name was more about Bronte than it was the position coach. If we're being honest. Right. You know, but if next year you go get a Bronte Johnson who isn't as easy to get or, or doesn't have that deep burning desire to be here like Bronte did, who's a unique case, then sure. That's, that's it. Just overall, you just got to start winning some of them. You got to start. Cause like in recruiting, you have like kind of like an A group and a B group. The B group is usually good players. Like I'm not talking like plan B, like those are C group guys. Sure. You have an A group and a B group and your goal is, Hey, look, we need at least one guy from this A group. Right. And the rest of our class may be from the B group, but we need at least those. And those are the really impact top of the level, top 50 to 75 national player type of guys. That's the A group. Right. Uh, and, and, and I'm not talking about ranking wise, but like your evaluation, like just the best of the best, right. Cam Williams is an A group guy. Got to get at least one of those guys. 
and then give me a, a, a you know I need a I need a guy that's from the B group and the B group is a smaller group of players too and then there's the C group which is the if we miss we go here right but you need at least one from the A group and so if he can go out next year and get me another guy from the A group and then a couple B group guys then sure I'm I'm I'm, I'm feeling better about things yeah. I am I am and with coach Washington it's just like dude keep doing what you're doing at defensive end just I, I need you to just be a little bit more impactful on interior guys sure you know that's that's sure. really the thing but you know if you if you're getting back-to-back DN classes of Bubakar Traore and Armel Mukum and Brendan Vernon, who committed before Coach Washington was hired, and then you follow that up with Logan Thomas and Cole Mullins and Bryce Young every year, all right, we're cooking. You know, and then if these guys start developing and how you think they're going to develop, then all of a sudden you start getting those top hundred guys and top fifty guys. Uh, because although I I think Cole Mullins is a top hundred guy. You start getting those elite players, you start getting the Elijah Rushings and the guys like that because now you're putting dudes in the NFL. And and that's where the production starts helping out. Sure. So we'll see. Yeah. Yep. So let's get to the next question, Vince. So we got one down here that I wanted to get to. Ooh, uh, nice. Right there. From Zach. Thoughts on Logan Saldate as a player? I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name. Okay. Um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about him today. We'll have more on him tomorrow. But he's a good player. If you haven't watched his film, check it out. He's a wide receiver from California, uh, 2024 kid, about 5'11", 180. Has a 10'8", track time, 24-and-a-half-inch long jump. Just really good. Uh, so uh, uh, sort of like Caleb Williams. You know, he's a slot guy. He's really smooth, uh, has good long speed, uh, plays l- faster than he looks. He's one of those really smooth guys, Vince, that doesn't look as fast as you think he is because he's so smooth. Um, real di- really good, surprisingly good ball skills for a guy that's 5'11 because he looks pretty long. Like he looks at like pretty long arms. He's a good football player, very productive, comes from a good school. Uh, I like him. I'm currently committed to Washington State or Oregon State. Uh, Washington's recruiting him as well. So we'll have, we'll talk more about him tomorrow. So but, he's a 24 uh, kid. 24 kid. Oh, yeah, okay. good player. I didn't realize they were player. still, well, they got to replace, right? That's yeah. the, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yep. So no doubt. No doubt. Let's move on to the uh, next one here. T guns over under six and a half interceptions, one and a half pick sixes, 15 and a half passes defended and two and a half forced fumbles, half a game or half a game ceiling interceptions. I'm assuming he means from the rain. I mean, from the rain, just read a text message, excuse me, from the safeties. I'm sorry. Um, so Angela just came down with Rita and Rita, come here. And it's storming. So Angela's yeah. trying to get hand me the bed so I can that. put it under here so Rita can go in there. But of course, that <laughs> and that's why Rita I was reading a text from my wife that said, No one shall come. Yeah. We ended up getting the rain that we were said to get. And I was like, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Sorry we're both dealing with the same thing. And I'm like, Yeah. 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 So yeah, plan on cutting the grass so, today. So to Tommy's to Tommy's question, over under on six and a half interceptions. So is this from the secondary or the safeties? I would imagine safeties. I mean, but, but this this gets us close to Vince, yeah. the number we talked about, right? So if you have okay. six and a half, if you if you get the over and you go seven and then get the over on the on the, the pass defended, it's 16. That's 23. That's close to what my bold prediction was, which is a yeah. third of of it. So to me, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go over on the interceptions. Okay. And under on the passes defended because i i think i think you have one or the other 
right? You either have a mess of breakups and then not as many interceptions, or okay. you know, it kind of kind of goes like this a little bit. So I'm I'm going to go over on the interceptions. So if I'm going to say triple, right? I said triple. My bold prediction was triple. Yeah, you did. That's you know seven to twenty one. I'm going to say it's not going to be eighteen breakups and three picks. I think it'd be more like seven interceptions and 14 breakups, something like that. Okay. Would be my, would be my over under. So I'd go over picks under defense. If I were to go under interceptions, then I would go over on the passes defense. Yeah. Two and a half forced fumbles. I sure hope it's over. And then uh half on the game ceiling interceptions. I'm going to go over. Cause I'm going to say they're going to have one. Kind of like a Harrison Smith against sure. USC in 2010 type of deal. You What'd know? you do with the pick sixes? Did you just say that one? Um, no, uh, I didn't. I, I, I'm going <laughs> under. I mean, those okay. are so rare. I mean, you'd have to have two pick sixes in a year. Yeah. At one position, that's I'm definitely going under on that one. Sure. I I feel – I hope it's over on interceptions. I just have my, – my gut feeling says that it'll be under, but I, I'm going the opposite of you, and I'm going to say over on the passes defended. I'm hoping that they're just a little bit more athletic, a little bit more handsy, you know, making that happen, that and that kind of a, a deal. So I'm going to go under on interceptions, over on passes defended. I'm going to go under on pick sixes because I think pick sixes are also almost luck at times more than skill. You yeah. know what I mean? It just, it just yeah. so much has to go right for a pick six. Uh, yeah. That's what I'll say. So I'm going to say the to under have there. multiples of them. Yeah, it's yeah. that's tough. That's right. Tough. Although Julian Love did in in uh, seventeen, didn't he? He had two pick sixes. He had one against NC State and one against Michigan State. And they had so two pick sixes. He almost had three yesterday from the secondary, but not from or yesterday last, last year, year from from the secondary because you had one from didn't didn't uh, Brandon Joseph had, get a pick six? Joseph had against one Syracuse? against Syracuse and then Benjamin Morrison. And then Benjamin against Morrison against Clemson. Yeah. So you had two last year, but uh, but they were from different position groups. Right. So, one corner, one safety. Right. Right. The for, go ahead. The four I fumbles. Just, I feel like over, and yeah. then I think over on the game ceiling interceptions yeah. because I also think that leads a little bit to interpretation as well. Yeah. You know, that there's a lot that could go under game ceiling, so yeah. I'll take the over. Part of me on that, Vince, with the the interceptions per, per, versus passes defense. Part of the reason that I do think that they're going to be there closer that I feel better about the interception number is because of the corners. I mean, number two, and it's twofold. Number one is there's going to be two or three interceptions this year. I, I predict that are off of tip balls that you know Cam Hart or Benjamin Morrison makes a play, ball Fair floats enough. up in the air, Ramon or Xavier picks it off, right? Because they're going to be in good position on a safety to do so. too, because you're in exactly you're in position right. to make that play. Yep. yep. And then the other part of it, it comes down to uh, you're 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 going to get tested more, so you've got to make those plays, and if the pressure's better. I think the unit because in in against a zone, if you're a zone team and you're good at putting pressure on a quarterback like Notre Dame was in 2018, your corners benefit because those quick balls come out and they're going to attack the flat. So, you know, Michigan State tries to throw quick against Julian Love and he steps in front of it and picks it off. Right, Ryan, um, forget the guy's last name. That Ryan Finley scrambles, he's forced out of the pocket, he tries to throw that field. Julian Love picks him off, takes it back. Right, uh, so. When you're a zone team, your corners benefit from that. When you're a man team that plays an aggressive man defense like Notre Dame does, then your safeties tend to benefit from and the the quick game when you're getting good pressure on the quarterback. You know where they throw hot on a quick inside slant, it go, throws high because he's got a guy in his face. It goes up in the air and boom, the safety picks sure. off right. 
plays like that. Yep. Uh, you think of the the interception that uh, South Carolina had against Notre Dame. I believe that was a safety. It was off of a tip ball. Safety picks it off and takes it back, right? So I think you're going to see more of that. those things where the quarterback's throwing hot over the middle to get rid of the football, and the safeties are the ones. Been, and that's where they need to be. That's what Notre Dame needs to do more of is where when the ball is getting out quickly like it did last year, you're making more plays in the football. Right. And that's where that's where they need to be. And so I think the two people that will benefit the most of this is this. Well, the safeties as a group, and I think Cam Hart needs to also catch more of those balls. That if Cam just would have caught the balls, hit him in the hands, he's got three interceptions last year. You know, so that's that's where you need to be. So good, good, good questions. I like Tommy's over unders. All right, yeah, Archer, you're fun. Do you yeah. think Notre Dame would ever sell tickets to fall camp practices? Ohio State is selling tickets for practices on 8-3 and 8-4, and I would absolutely go if I could. Notre Dame will eventually do something like that, I would imagine. I agree. I, I would not. I, I don't – I'm not a fan of that, to be honest with you. This isn't the National Football League. Uh, I'm also a former coach, so I have a little bit of that paranoia in me. I, I don't want to waste a practice, and I'm not doing everything that I'm going to normally do if I'm going to have 20,000 people in the stands or even a thousand people in the stands, right. You That's know, what the spring game is for like, here's what, here's what every team's going to do. Hey, get someone, Hey, call your buddy, you know, who's a coach that's a high school coach or something or a D three coach and have them go to that practice and sure. And, and see scout what we can them. do yeah. and scout, let us know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. I, I would, I would not do something like that. I, yeah, Notre Dame's close though. They're close to it because they are doing like it's not an open practice, but they're doing a practice at like a high school, a local high school. You know right. what I mean? And so it's not well, like Culver where it was kind of yeah. like a closed camp situation. They only did that for like five days, right? Like, no, I yeah. I yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just Culver's a high school. That's the only connection that that would right. be, and that and that's a closed situation. But they're going out into the community and they're having an open practice. Now it also happens mm-hmm. to be the same open practice that we get to be at, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know that they would ever sell tickets for it, though. This isn't the NFL. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know that they would ever sell tickets, but I feel like they're branching out a little bit more than they ever have before, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I think for me, too, also, Vince, they've done things in the past. They've like allowed faculty and stuff to come, sure. which is fine. That's a little bit of a different deal. You have to show your sure. faculty ID and all that kind of stuff. I'm okay with stuff like that. If they were to do something where they were let students come, whatever. I mean, that'd right. be kind of a fun, you know, like a, a loose late seat, late fall camp, Friday yeah. practice. You're going to have some fun. You're and remember that loose. time that, yeah, that's a good that word Kelly allowed us to be at practice and they like were wearing different jerseys and they were just having fun. And it was like, seriously, this is one of the practices you're giving us access to. <laughs> right. Really? You're right. wasting my time with this. Like, come on, man. No surprise um, there. But um, I just, I, I just look. I'm a believer that they're the fans are a big part of this game, right? It's just one of those things where when they bring us to a practice, there are certain things they can ask us to do and not to do and monitor it. Like, listen, can you not talk about specific plays? Can you not like they've had to ask me this before because, like, you know, I first started mm-hmm. going, I, you know, they were running this coverage and they ran this pass concept, and I was given real specifics because that's what I know. And they asked me not to do that and explain it. It was like, made total sense. Like, yeah, I get it. Okay, <laughs> sure, totally understand. Right. And uh, 
you know, because you, you don't want stuff getting out there. Well, they can control that to a degree because they can see what I'm writing and listen to our shows. But when you've got like 10,000 fans in a sense, how in the world do you control what they do and don't tweet or post or do whatever after the fact or during or whatever? Who's going to be there monitoring, making sure there's not someone sneaking a video camera in there and recording practice? It's just it'd be so hard to monitor that. I just I wouldn't want I would be if I was a coach at Notre Dame, I'd be totally against that. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Like, do we really are you really hurting that much for money? that you need to do that right that's a good point right really there. you're really hurting for money that much that you need to do that to charge a few bucks to get people to come to a practice like right oh, man i'm right. good uh, you know chisel off a little just bit of that dome and sell that you know what i mean and you'll be good if you need that extra money <laughs> you know what i mean like, you're gonna be fine. i know four boosters you can call and get whatever and they'll give you right now whatever it is you right. made on selling tickets to that practice right right you know what i mean like and they don't need to they're also not at a point just to, to build on what you're saying. They're not at a point where they need to build a fan base either. Well, yeah, I mean, look, and, and I'm all for giving more access to fans. Like I told you about why we're not allowed to give the schedule out for practices. I think that's ridiculous and anti-fan. But you didn't I, I tell me why. Absurd. Oh, I, yeah, I'll tell you. Okay, yeah, you didn't tell I'll me why. i say it now. Basically, so what I was told is they don't want they don't want fans to know when the practices are, so they don't want fans showing up to get a glimpse of the team or to get autographs or whatever, which I think is absurd. But how are they going to do that? Not, they, they, they've got that place like Fort Knox. Like yeah, it's all, but I mean, so what some little, so now, so, you know, Oh God forbid that little nine year old yeah. that, you know, gets his, his right. gets to meet his favorite player and whatever. Right. Anyway. Right. Different conversation for a different yep, day. Yep. 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 Uh, wow. You know, but there are certain things fans don't have a right to be at to me. Sure. And, Absolutely. and, have, and, and it's never, I've never seen more than like eight to 10 fans outside of a practice. Like, right. come on, dude, you're acting like, you know, y'all the Beatles and you're, you know, run out to practice <laughs> to uh, hordes right. of hundreds and thousands of people. Like, come on, bro. Uh, you know, but, but there are certain things that I just don't think fans necessarily have a, a right to, or should have, a, like I've said, I don't want any cameras in the locker room at halftime and, and Absolutely. during pregame speech and all that. that, like, you know, it just I, makes I, it so that, fake. That's not a that's not a place for the media. That's not a place right. for fans. That is their world. That's their sanctuary. Now, if if there's things where like, hey, you know, Notre Dame wants to record something to use for their own promotional thing, that's up to them. But I wouldn't have it to where like NBC's doing that. I hate right? it. Uh, there's just certain aspects of that. You know, I, I'm not a fan of reporters in the locker room. I know the professional sports. I just. I just feel like that's their sacred space that we don't right. have a right to. And I think practice is a, is a place where, you know, it, it, it's, I do think there needs to be access to practice in certain ways. I've said, put out more video. I mean, every single day of fall camp, Notre Dame's uh, media team needs to put out some minute long video. I mean, sure. you can do it in a way where people don't really know what you're doing, but the fans love it. They eat it exactly. up. They see the catch, they see the run, they whatever. And you're not giving away plays. Right. You're not giving away who's out there. Uh, do a mic'd up with a different coach during fall camp. Do it, you know, th- those different things. Do a, do a mic'd up where one of your former players is coming to practice. You know, Tim Brown's at practice and mic him up and put that out afterwards and something, you know. Like, I think they should be doing stuff like that from every practice. But, like, that's not really giving team people the insider. I think we should be allowed to be at practice to a degree and say, hey, look, you can talk about this, this, and this, but there are certain things you can or can't talk about. Um if they wanted to do an open practice where it was going to be kind of like a fun, just little, you know, they're going to go out there and do certain things. And it's a, you know, lighter doing some one-on-ones. It's not going to be like a team. Like if you have those, you know, those lower days where you're not, then I'd be kind of okay with that. If mm-hmm. it was going to be something like that. I mean, so that's a scenario where I could kind of live. We're not doing any team today. We're not doing any seven on seven. We're going to do one-on-ones. We're going to do some, 
you know, some, some things over here, it's not really given a whole lot, but that's harder, harder to do nowadays because you have so few practices and so few opportunities to me to, I, I like, I wish they would extend fall camp by like a week. You know, like, I think they should get more time in fall camp to really spend more time, get the kids ready, make sure everybody's in condition, just get all that. I wish there was a little bit more time. Then I would have a little bit more of a, you know, fan day. Hey, we're going to, we're going to extend every team by a week. The thing that we ask is that you have two fan days during that period of time. Sure. So we'll give you five extra practices if you also have two fan days and the fan days can be, you know, something where uh, the it's a, it's a fun day. You got there, you have a nice little easy workout. You know, it's like that, that half speed thing. You do some one-on-ones, you go through drills, seven on seven, something like, and then afterwards you sign autographs for kids or, you know, something like that. And, and uh, you know, something like that. Um, I mean, that'd be kind of, you know, coach Freeman addresses the crowd, you know, players address the crowd, almost kind of like it's a pep rally type of thing. That'd be, you know, have the band there, you know, playing during practice instead of having the music on over the, I mean, okay, cool. But you better give me some extra practices if you want me to do something like that. Right. And so those are things, again, I would do if I was, you know, NCAA NCAA King or college football King, you know, be something I would do. I would love to be on Twitter. The day day that you become the college football King, I want to be on Twitter at all the changes that are rolling down the pike. Yeah. Be fun. Yep. Agree. David Lowe, I went back and looked at Notre Dame recruiting classes over the years and didn't realize Weiss's had three, Charlie Weiss had three top five classes in a row. What happened in that span of those years? Just bad development? Oh, I mean, to a degree, yeah. But a lot of those kids that they recruited that were ranked high were part of the 2012 team. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, so like the fifth year seniors were part of that. So yeah, it's bad development. Charlie Weiss was a bad developer. I mean, we've talked about that he, many times. I mean, that's, that's why, why he got fired. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and he also, and this is also shows the flaws in the re- recruiting rankings because every single one of Charlie's highly ranked classes had misses. Absolutely, they were very. They had a bunch of five stars at like quarterback, you know, receiver, tight They're all end, offensive, right? And and you were coming up short on offensive line. They they weren't as good on offensive line. You're. Your linebacker classes weren't that good until Manti in 19 or 09. You know, you were having great corner classes, but your sa- or in your safety class would be bad. And, you know, there, there were always these these holes in the class. But because they had five stars, the rankings go up and boom. Sure. You know, everybody thinks it's a phenomenal class. Notre right. Dame has had, to me, uh, the, the 2023 class, the current freshman class, was better than any class that Charlie Weiss had because this class had fewer holes. Right. Now, maybe it didn't have as many five stars – but it had fewer holes. And, and so those are some things I look at and say, give me a class that's really good with no holes than a class that has four elite players, but I'm short on offensive linemen, short on linebackers, short on defensive tackles. Right. So to me, those are not, those are not elite classes. And this is, this is the problem that people that I have with those recruiting Mm -hmm. rankings is it, it goes right back down to it. I mean, you look at the 2008 class, for example, which was a, a class that finished ranked number two, right? It was ranked number two because you had a five-star tight end. You had a five-star receiver. You had a five-star quarterback. You had a top 100 running back in Jonas Gray. You had another top 250 receiver in Deion Walker. And you had some, some highly ranked DBs. 
Ethan Johnson, but your defensive tackles in that class were Sean Swinar, who's a good player, but like top 250 guy, but not a star. Hafiz Williams and Brandon Newman. That, that was your linebacker class or your defensive tackle class. That's not a that's not a number two overall in the country defensive tackle class, right? You signed one corner in that class, Robert Bland. That was it. You had two safeties. So you don't even have your, – your number two ranked recruiting class doesn't even have the ability to put a starting lineup on the field because you only signed one corner, right? Your outside linebackers were pretty good, Steve Filer and, and, and Darius Fleming. As recruits, they were very good recruits. Your inside linebackers were Anthony McDonald, who was solid, and David Puzlesny, who shouldn't have been on scholarship at Notre Dame. <laughs> you know, like, so your O-line class was – was you had Trevor Robinson was good. Lane Cleveland was okay. Braxton Cave was good. And then Mike Golick, it was a good offensive line class, but not a number two overall class right. in the country good. Right. Right? So you had holes. You had, you had holes at pretty important positions. You know, corner, defensive tackle, inside linebacker. And when you're a 3-4 team and you're coming up, you know, kind of – short on on inside linebackers that's kind of a big deal you know and and the other thing too is three of your four signees on your offensive line class were interior players you only signed one tackle so again it was a class that came up short the the previous year's class was the same thing uh the 07 class you had deval kamara was highly ranked you had armando allen was highly ranked robert hughes jimmy clausen was a five-star and then you look at it and you're like, you signed one defensive tackle and one defensive end. Top 10 recruiting class. You had Golden Tate in that class. Harrison Smith was in that class. But you signed one defensive end and he was an outside linebacker and one defensive tackle. Now, again, he was a good player in Ian Williams. But you can't have a top five recruiting class when you do that. You had you had one big time offensive lineman, Matt Romine. Your other offensive line were Taylor Dever, who was a solid player, liked him. Andrew Nuss, who I didn't think that was good, and then Emeka Nwankwo. Like, that was your offensive line class. Your inside linebacker class was Steve Pascores, Aaron Nagel, and Brian Smith. That's that's not a very good inside. So this is your defensive class. Aaron Nagel, Brian Smith, Ian Williams, Kerry Neal, Gary Gray, Steve Pascores, and Harrison Smith. There's some really good players in there. But you signed three, four. You only signed eight defensive players, seven defensive players. Only seven. How in your offensive line class was questionable. It was a class dominated by quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. That's the flaw in the system, right? And this is what I continue to point out. Uh, the 2006 class, Vince, is the same thing. It was a highly ranked class. Your wide receivers, in that, and it was dominated by different positions. James Alders was ranked really high. Uh, you had an offensive line class that had Sam Young, who was a five-star player. Uh, but it was it, Darren Wall. He had a really good corner class, in my opinion. You had Darren Walls and Rayshon McNeil. But your safeties were shaky. You signed Sergio Brown, Jashad Gaines, and Leonard Gordon. Not not great. Your defensive end class was John Ryan and Kellen Wade. Your linebackers were Torian Smith and, and Mo Richardson. Right. Your quarterbacks were highly ranked. Demetrius Jones and Zach Frazier. James Alders ranked really high. Uh, your tight ends were you had Conrad Rulin, who was a highly ranked guy. But then your receiver class was Barry Gallup, Robbie Paris, and Richard Jackson and George West. That was your receiver class. So again, highly ranked class that Notre Dame fans would have been in love with because it was ranked high that had major flaws because it was the points-based systems that put way too much emphasis on highly ranked players and don't take into account, did you meet your needs? Did you fill out all your positions? Can you even put a starting lineup on the freaking field on one side of the ball, right? Those things don't get taken into account. And so people obsess over recruiting rankings 
and say, well, did he just not develop well? Those were You're assuming that because they had three top five classes that all of a sudden they had great talent. And I just went through and pointed out to you hole after hole after hole after hole because rankings are irrelevant. Did you build a roster the right way? And the answer is no, you didn't. You were great at recruiting quarterbacks and running backs and receivers in some years. You did have a couple good years of corner, but as far as putting a class together, you did not do a good job of building a team. But according to rivals and 247, those were great classes. No, they weren't. Because you couldn't put an offensive line together that could play championship football. You couldn't put a defensive tackle and interior inside linebacker group together to play championship football. You didn't recruit enough safeties to go play championship football right? That's why you weren't a championship football team. You had big time talent. You had receivers that put up monster numbers, All right? Because here's the thing. The guys that were ranked really high, the five stars actually produced. Jimmy Clausen was a heck of a player at Notre Dame. Michael Floyd was a great player at Notre Dame. Golden Tate was a great player at Notre Dame. Harrison Smith was a great player at Notre Dame, right? Mike Ragone was, was not, but he had some injuries, but you had other guys that stepped up. Kyle Rudolph was a heck of a player at Notre Dame. So a lot of your highly ranked guys panned out. Your team still sucked. So you developed your your five stars. They they were good. But what was Notre Dame's problem? Bad offensive line play, not great defensive lines, inside linebackers are shaky, you had too many holes. Well, why couldn't they put good linebackers in the field? Because for three years in a row, you didn't sign any good inside linebackers. Your best signee was Anthony McDonald. So it wasn't until you got Manti in 09 that you had that. Well, by that point in time, Charlie's career was over. Right? And so... You know, you look at it that way, Vince, and you say, that's why I don't care about recruiting rankings. Because those are three very highly ranked. Oh, Notre Dame's recruiting great. No, they're not. Because they're coming up short here. They're coming up short there. Right. They're they're coming up short here. And you can't win that way. Because, yeah, you may have a great offense with Jimmy Claus, but then you go play USC, and they have a great offense, and you're trying to stop him with Steve Pascores and, you know, <laughs> you know, Kerry Neal, who's you know, a solid player. But it's like you don't have enough weapons on defense to stop them. They're recruiting big-time players on defense, so they can stop you, and that's how you lose. Because yep. every game they lost in 09 was by a, 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 a one-possession game, every single loss, I believe. Am I correct on that? I'm pretty sure, Vince, that every single loss that Notre Dame had in, in 2009 was a single-possession loss. So let's see. They lost to Michigan by four. They lost to USC by a touchdown. They lost to Navy by two. They lost to Pitt by five. They lost to UConn by three in double overtime, and they lost to Stanford by a touchdown. What's the difference between you losing all those games and you winning all those games? It's not necessarily development, which Charlie wasn't good at, is you didn't recruit enough good players to make stops at certain positions or to block in a certain way or do whatever you needed to do because you had in a big-time quarterback, big-time receivers, highly-ranked guys at running back, but you came up short at too many positions, so you weren't as good of a football team. You, Notre Dame would have dominated seven-on-seven tournaments in Charlie's last two years. No doubt. They could have played with anybody. And that's why their recruiting classes were ranked high in, in 07 and 08 because they got a bunch of skilled players on offense. They had way too many holes. So I'm not even just pointing to other people that, hey, look, it's other schools. They're not as good. Notre Dame is an example of that too. And, and, I, and I point this out over and over and over and over again, and people still just say, well, gee, what was wrong here? Well, how about you dig into the, the classes and, and, and look for yourself? You tell me if that was a championship class. What was missing? And that's how it should always be. You say, man, right. you know, you could say, hey, Notre Dame's class was ranked 12th. Okay, you tell me what the hole is and was in last year's class. 
You tell me, we ain't got a Viper. Okay, well, they kind of did, but yeah, okay, sure, all right. Still sign three defensive ends. Still sign four defensive linemen. You can put a starting defensive line on the field. Well, they missed out on the third safety. Yeah, you're right, they did. They can still put a starting secondary on the field, right? Well, I wish they would have got one more of this. Yeah, but they still can put a starting offensive line on the field. Notre Dame's last year's team could put two starting 11s on the field from when they recruited last year, right? It's recruiting now, the whole yeah, roster. Yeah, I would have liked to have also landed a Jimmy Clausen. I would have also liked to have landed a, you know, a, a, all this, that, and the other. But some of those guys I think were that, okay, with all due respect, Jaden Osbury and Drake Bowen should have been ranked way higher, right? They should have. Jaden Greathouse should have been ranked way higher. And those things are going to impact the rankings. This is my whole point. Do you want that 23 class that doesn't have any five stars that can literally put a starting 11 on the field on both sides of the ball? Or – do you want the five, the top five class that if you try to put that defensive line on the field, you're going to give up 250 rushing yards a game? But, hey, you have a great five-star quarterback that equals X number of points. You know, like that's not how you build a football team. Bama builds football teams because they have – they recruit incredibly well. Out Georgia's best defensive lineman or most highly drafted defensive lineman from their 2021 team was a three-star recruit, Jordan Davis, Right. Wouldn't have been fired up about him when they signed him if you only cared about recruiting rankings. So, again, I am I feel like I'm a broken record on this, but it keeps getting asked, right? Like, it's – and it was asked in a different way this way, but it, it, it they weren't really top five classes if you go back and look on it, look at them. And and I fell for that at the time because I'd, I'd see the top five, and this is when I was just getting into following recruiting events. Wow, top five class. But then you, you start to study it more and you're like, well, you know. You dig in, yeah you're banking on Torian Smith and Mo Richardson to be your dudes. Like, I don't know, you know, it kind of negates the fact that you signed Jimmy Clausen and, you know what I mean? And Michael Floyd, cause you know, you're, you're you better score 40 game cause you're going to be giving up a lot of points. And that's exactly what happened. Welcome to Wake Forest. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's, you know, if Jimmy didn't play perfect and in, in 09, they lost. Right. You know, and um, yeah, that, that's just, that's the frustrating, the frustrating aspect of this whole thing is, this rant number two today, man, like, uh, in this mailbag. You're on fire. So, yeah. Whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> Patrick Earwood. Vincent Bryan. What do you all think of Ole Miss being the only staff in the country being able to help players with mental health? Uh, That's I'm not, not true at all. I, I'm not familiar with this. What do you mean so, only staff well, being able to? What does that mean exactly? Yeah. Because I, there's I plenty of teams that have mental health professionals as part of the staff or part of the athletic um, department, et cetera. So I don't I'm really know. See. Are they, did they all get like certified to, I guess Ole Miss became the first program to implement mental health training. That's not true. I, I, well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that means. Uh, look, maybe from the coaching, I don't know what this means. Here's what I do know. I have a lot of issues with Brian Kelly. Y'all know that, but Brian Kelly was ahead of the curve on this. He was. That's what Amber Selking's entire job was yep. at Notre Dame. And from what I heard, she was the players liked her a lot. I mean, sure. you know, they they respected her. They would go talk because she was an outlet for them. They could talk to her, right? And she would help them with different things. And it was it was mental health. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if she was a psychiatrist or not. I don't know what her spe- specific. Her- she had some sort of professional a, training. She, she is a PhD. She, she was a doctor. Right. I just don't know what she was. Sports psychology, I okay. believe, because she came okay. and spoke so, to all the coaches in the district that I okay. used to work in. So, right. Like I knew, she, I don't know what she was, but I knew she had some sort right. of training for it. Yep. And that was Brian Kelly. I mean, that was the thing that Brian Kelly did well. Uh, now, 
I understand that you needed to move on and you wanted to try to get rid of, but there should have been a replacement for her at Notre Dame. I don't know if there was or wasn't. I don't know. But, and you've heard us either. talk about this a lot. So no, Lane Kiff, I mean, if like, this is something that I don't know what they're saying about the only staff, or I don't know enough about the story. I just read some headline right uh, about they becoming leaders in mental health and all that. But I believe Amber Selking went with Brian Kelly to LSU, did. correct? hundred percent. I've seen so her on LSU the LSU has that now yeah. and that's what she, that's mental health that's what she right. does and she brian was at kelly, notre dame for years right so, so all my issues with brian kelly mm-hmm. that's not one that i'm i'm going to criticize him for that's an area that i think he has done a good job of providing those resources and i wish he would do more things to to you know connect with players but that's something brian kelly's been doing for a while i mean sure. she's been with them since i mean 15 oh, 13 14 like she's yeah, been there was... for uh, notre dame for a while she's been with yeah. brian kelly for about a decade yeah Yep. And has had a very, I mean, I always felt sometimes she maybe had a little bit too prominent of a role. I mean, I've, that's kind of something I like, eh, you know, like uh, we don't need to be going to her for everything. You know, she's not a coach, right? She was on the sidelines. I right. mean, there's no doubt about that. But I mean, that was Brian Kelly giving her, a, helping the person say like, look, this is an important person that has my ear that if you talk to her, she, she'll come to me. Now she wouldn't go and say, Hey, you know, so-and-so said that that she'll come say, hey, listen, talking to the players, this is a, a theme that I hear a lot. They're, they're struggling with this. They need, you know, and then Brian Kelly can say, okay, well, how do we implement those changes to help them out in our program? It wasn't like I talked to Johnny Jones and he said, you're yelling at him too much. It wasn't like that, right? And nor should it be. Right. But yeah, with all due respect, Brian Kelly's been doing this for a minute. So so that would mean Lane Kiffin and them, and, and props to them. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, props right. to them. I, this is something that more teams should be taking. Mental health for soldiers is something that I've talked about is a big thing that we're not, that as a country, we're failing our troops that are coming over fighting in the war. We're not doing more for them to make help with that transition. But I've also felt from in my specific universe that we're not doing enough for these young people when it comes to their mental health. And when you think about all that's being thrown at them, NIL, social media, all the different things, they're so much more visible now. Right. And we just assume because this guy is six foot four and 245 pounds of nothing but muscle and runs a four five that he should be just as strong up here as he is physically. And that's not always the case. Even the strongest physical people can struggle with depression, uh, anxiety, uh, don't know how to deal with a, a situation going on at home. Their mom is sick. Like mm-hmm. it's why I've always had such great respect for Kurt Heinisch you know, to, to deal with what he's, he dealt with at Notre Dame with his dad and that sickness and all that kind of stuff. It's why I have such a great respect for what Jaden Mickey's going through right now of with his mom's battle with cancer and all that. And you're like, I don't know how I would have handled that as an 18 year old, probably not well. Mm -hmm. And there need to be outlets besides just your position coach to go do that. And so props to Ole Miss for taking that seriously, however they're doing it, but that's not a new thing. I mean, that's, we need more of it. So I'm all for bringing publicity to it, but this is something Brian Kelly's been doing for about a decade, first at Notre Dame and now at LSU. And and um, but I am cool that it's I'm happy it's being talked about because I do think this is something that that we need to have more of a discussion about as an industry, uh, as a as a sport to say, hey guys, it's okay for these it's these kids need to know it's okay. There's being soft, but then there's just being human. Like some kids, dude, you're soft. Like every little thing you go cry and you're just, you're just soft, like toughen up. Right. But in a lot of instances, like this is a hard kid that's struggling to open up and he won't talk to me about what's going on. He needs someone to be able to open up to. 
Sure. And there's there's still a little bit of this, well, even I say a little bit more, a little bit. There's still this persona of, you know, to be a man, you've got to suck it up and bury it down deep. And like, there's a time and a place for that. Like, just just you're gonna be good, man. It's power through. But then there's a time and a place where it's like, this kid's 19 years old, and I'm 45, Vince. Right? Like, so if I'm going through some, I, dude, I, I know how to handle. I'm good. I can handle it. I've been through this right. before. I, I, but when a 19 year old is going through some of this stuff, it's like he may not know how to handle it. He's not, he's away from home. He doesn't have that, that, that foundation he's always had. He may not be, he may not know what to do. There needs to be clear resource to say, Hey man, look, you're struggling, bro. This is what you do. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's where leadership can be a big part of it. But uh, I, I do think there needs to be more awareness because it, I don't think we, we appreciate just how much these kids go through. It's so much. The college athletes have always had to deal with a lot workouts and all, but it's just, it's all the other crap that's now on their shoulders. They're having to negotiate million dollar deals or the people like what an 18. So what are we going to do? Let's make sure that we have people in place that can say, Hey, we're going to help right. you with that. And we're going to help get you through that. And, you know, we're going to help you deal with the the stress that comes with that. And uh, I'm a big fan of that, but uh, yeah, Brian Kelly's been doing this for a while. And that's right. something Brian, that's something Brian Kelly deserves a lot of praise for. Agreed. Is that he has he has taken that seriously for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, you feel that way too, Vince. Like, yeah, I mean, oh, I, I know do. she had that job, but like that Brian Kelly put value in that when he, he did her name and is doing it at LSU. No, he absolutely did. Yeah, he absolutely did. All right, let's go to the next one. Irish Gertie. Let's just not- say this: there's a chance, folks, that we're going to lose. Uh, with the storm that we just saw at flicker events. I was wondering uh, what that was. Yeah. Okay. We're in the same neighborhood. So yeah. if power <laughs> goes out, we may be done. We're going to power through so far. Right. It's been good, but uh, just in case was, we go away, you flickered. I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you flickered for me okay. too. So, okay. uh, yeah, like, which oh, may have been on the end, but yeah, either way. So, yeah. Either be way. Heads up. This yeah. is a classic case of it takes two to tango. So, That's right. uh, you know. so if I go, Vince, man, just power through, baby. But if we both go, see y'all tomorrow. Right. <laughs> so, Irish Guardian, not. Uh, I'm sorry, we, yeah, we didn't get to that one yet. Sorry. Nope. Is it possible to use the versatility of the cornerback room to help mask some of the blind spots at the safety position, especially Hart and Morrison being so rangy? I'm with you on the first part, not on the second. I am not taking away Cam Hart right. and Benjamin Morrison to help out safety because now you've robbed Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. You can't right? do that. that old expression. However, kid, you know this is why we've advocated for a guy that I would absolutely put at safety is I would have put Clarence Lewis back there. I flat out would have put him back there. You know, Ryan Barnes is maybe a guy that could get a chance to go back there. Although Clarence would be my number one pick. So yes, when you look at how deep Notre Dame is at corner, and if you're struggling at safety, you need to move somebody. And there are guys that can make that move. I think Chance Tucker in some areas could help out at safety as maybe a middle of the field guy, not as a guy that's going to come down and run thump all day, right? Right. You know, but could could you go into a game where, hey, chances are emergency safety and we're just going to go play cover one and cover three because Chance can play the middle of the field? Sure. Okay. I can get you out of a game, right? And, uh, you know, some things like that. But I would absolutely tap into my cornerback depth chart, yep. especially – you know, as you kind of, you know, next year when you get Leonard Moore and Carson Hobbs on campus and then you've had some consistency because now you've got depth, but, uh, you know, you've got young depth as well. But and and it also would mean at that point in time, you'll know if Christian Gray is the guy you think he's going to be. You're going to have a sure. better idea who Jaden Mickey is, who Micah Bell is. 
to where you'll be in a better position to, to say, hey, look, you know, Chance, we we really need to help. You're too good not to play, but you're going to be our fourth corner. So let, let's get you over here because you can help us over here playing center field, something like mm-hmm. that, right? I would certainly look into. And, and we've already talked to him. Uh, we've had shows about Clarence. Lewis I mean, yeah, we've been advocating for this for yeah. a while. So, yes, yeah. you can do that for sure. Absolutely. Insure, insured by big. Even as an LSU f- fan, I am shocked to see the lack of excitement for Notre Dame this year. Wow. I've already placed bets on the over and playoff appearance for Notre Dame. Do you prefer being the underdog as a fan? I do. Yes and no. Yes. Uh, here's the thing. I, I think he's correct. There's not a lot of excitement about Notre Dame, even from some Notre Dame fans. I mean, I had sure. to literally do a show about why I'm excited about this team because I felt yeah. like there's just too much negativity going on. But there's a lot of, like, some of these over-unders on Notre Dame, you're like, whoa. Like, wow, that's a that's a very interesting over-under. Man, I wish sometimes I wish I, I gambled because there's definitely some lines I'd be throwing – few C notes on this year, Vince. Notre Dame's over under. Sam Hartman win the Heisman. Like you know, like if Notre Dame has a year, I think they can. If yeah. they don't, I'm out a cut few hundred bucks. If they do, yeah. Chris put a small wager good in the Driscoll household. This I put year, a very you know? small wager on Notre Dame to win the national yeah. championship because the odds were just so, so astronomical. Yeah, that I was I mean, like, you, you put a hundred bucks down, you're gonna you're well, gonna make yourself a lot of money. I definitely you know? didn't do that, but I, right. it's, it's a lot. It's it's very little to win a yeah. lot. And I was like, you know what? There's a chance here, man, and I'm gonna take it. So, yeah. yeah. So those are just things that I, I look at and say, man, this is going to be a really interesting, uh, really interesting conversation to have. So we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But here's the thing, Vince. Um, I, I, I like when they're the underdog in that. I, li- I don't know. I kind of like having that chip on my shoulder, like exactly. they don't respect us kind of thing. Right. Like that's kind of like part of being a Notre Dame fan. Sure. But I actually kind of like that. They don't like us more than they don't respect us. That's the part that bothers me. It's that lack of respect. I like being the underdog. I don't like being disrespected, if that makes sense. Sure. And right now, I kind of feel like there's this level of disrespect, and it's a lazy disrespect. Well, they don't have speed. Uh, Notre Dame has problems. That's not one of them. But that comes from Notre Dame fans. Right. Ah, J.D. Bertrand's slow. Uh, J.D. Bertrand has issues that he needs to fix, but Jack Kaiser has areas he needs to fix, but that ain't one of them. Right, right? exactly. Right. you know, but that's just oh, they don't have speed, and then then they play these teams like man, we're surprised at how fast they were. Well, duh, you know, like I, I, this isn't two thousand and you know two thousand and two anymore, right. you know what I mean, or nineteen nineteen ninety nine anymore. We're learning like three fast guys, and then a bunch of just you know, this isn't the Ty Willingham era. You know, Charlie Weiss has had speed on offense, not on defense. I get it. There's been times when that is true. It's not now, right? And so. uh there doesn't mean there aren't issues. It just means so it's the disrespect I don't like. I kind of like fair. being undervalued, right? I kind of like being that 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 we don't like Notre Dame. Cool, I like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to like us. We're gonna go out and dominate you, right? But um, yeah, it's just a it's a weird it's a weird situation, very weird situation. Uh, I'm also a little frustrated with. Uh, T gun or with Archer, right? Oh now. no, because he's talking about all the top players from Georgia that are going to other schools, and he did not mention Cole Mullins. We're gonna have words, my friend. We're gonna have words because Cole Mullins is a dude. I'm just kind of busting T Archer's chops a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> um, I 
I am. I get. I don't really care that there's not a lot of excitement outside, Vince. Where, where I get frustrated is when that some 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 parts of the Notre Dame faithful aren't excited. Sure. It's like, guys, this is the time to be excited. It's the off season. And it's this okay. Is the time to be excited. So it's okay. exactly Vince. It's okay to be excited. Yeah. I get why some don't want to. Right. Because it's like I've been, especially older folks, because like you know that live through the glory years. Like I just don't want to think that those are coming back and then get my heart broken again. I get it. I, I get. Do they're get like, it. yeah. Sometimes there, there's a few, there, there's a, a section of Notre Dame fans though, that I think just want to be miserable too. Like they just want to focus on the negative all the time, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating to see all the time. Allow yourself to be happy. It's yeah. okay. So okay. guys want to go give them a hug. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Let's, let's keep rolling Vince. Mark Avalone. Uh, let's see here from both a quarterback and safety perspective. Close to goal line, how do each handle RPO, speed it up, or slowed the decision down? Well, there's a lot of things that go into that, Mark. It depends on the circumstance, right? There's going to be some times when it's going to be a quick decision. If I'm running some kind of RPO where I'm just I'm releasing a quick slide out to the flats, that's a pretty quick decision because you want to get the ball out quick enough to where that before the defense can recover. Um, if you're doing some sort of spread RPO kind of concept where you're going to throw hot off of a side, that's got to, that ball's got to come out quickly. Other RPO concepts near the goal line are going to be a lot slower. If you're going 13, 14 personnel and you're running like a, a, a you know, like more of a, a full read where a guy's going to block down and then maybe sneak behind, that's going to take a little bit longer to develop. So really what it comes down to is it's about timing and proper timing is key to a good RPO. And the timing of it is going to depend on what concept you're running mm-hmm. against what looks. Sure. And so um, it, it can be either or, Mark. It just depends on the concept that you're trying to run. It really just comes down to the keys are uh, if you have leverage, it's going to be quick. If you have to read it out to wait for a post-snap movement, then it's going to take longer. Does that make sense? So like if I know yeah, that absolutely. we've got leverage out here and as soon I'm I'm taking that quick flash fake and I'm throwing it out there before they can, read. That's what you're talking about. It, exactly. Basically. Yeah. If yep. it's a, a post snap read where I've got right. that overhang guy and whether I'm going to throw the speed out or not, I got to ride that sucker out. And if that guy stays, then I'm handing off. If that guy comes in, then I got to quickly get it out there. But that yep. takes more time. Sure. I think that's a good way of putting it, Vince, is because yep. leverage – a leverage read is a is basically a pre-snap read. Right. Right. For so am I pre-snap purposes. reading this yeah. RPO or my post-snap reading this RPO? That's a good right. way of putting events. Yeah. Very good way. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of post-snap RPOs are very similar to like triple option, for example. And I know you don't yeah. want to talk about triple option, but no, that's the kind of triple option I like. I don't like the veer right. and the that, right. that crap. But, yes. but you've got to, but a lot of that triple option stuff is you've got to this. Okay, if you're reading the end, if it, you know, if you're reading the defensive end, if he crashes, then you're pulling. If he stays where he's at, then you're giving, but that's all post snap. It's what he does in the moment and you've got to wait it out. I mean, in that, and that's a post snap situation. So that's going to look like a slower situation than a pre-snap read where, man, we've got numbers over here. We know we have numbers. I got to get the ball out and I got to do it right now. So yeah, pre-snap versus post-snap. Absolutely. 